Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to the podcast again. This is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN, uh, LD at Large. I am still sitting at home in self-isolation, so I felt this would be a really good time to reach out to some of my, some of my best good friends in the industry. Today, I have AJ Penn, concert production designer for Penlight Inc. Uh, he has been the LD for such amazing bands as One Republic and Josh Groban and so many more. Uh, he is joining me from to- just outside Toronto. He is also in it's self-isolation. Like Inside Downtown Toronto, Toronto now. That's right. You are inside Toronto now. Yeah, Welcome to the, the show, my good friend AJ. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, I'm really getting my money's worth for the uh, for the view I paid for in this condo, looking at the city, and uh, feeling very very self quarantined. <laughs> How's about yourself? <laughs> I am so comfortable. I haven't had to put on. I haven't had to take off my pajamas. For like three days, I've I've rotating pajamas. I'm uh, teaching the yesterday. Kids how- I showered. I got up. I I made my bed. I showered. I put on clothes as if I was going to go out. And I sat in front of the computer, and that lasted a good three hours. And then I was back <laughs> in my jammies. Three and a half. Three and a half hours, maybe. My suitcase made it into the well organized closet for the first time in in months. My suitcase is sitting there empty. Normally, I don't even unpack it when I come home because I'm only home for a few days. And my wife always tries to get me to put it away. And I'm like, well, I, why would I put it away? I'm just going to take the clothes out. I'm going to wash them and put them right back in. But See, right now, there's, my, my, there's a whole a whole web a whole podcast series right there. How how do roadies deal with their their stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I have a I have a ritual now. I try when I get home. I have my carry on. That's got four to five days of clothes and something nice to put on it, you know, for, I like to dress up for Josh Groban shows at least. And sometimes uh, one Republic corporates and stuff. And uh, just, I like to have that ready to go at a moment's notice, but I put that inside my two other suitcases because I have a limited amount of space here. So when you're talking about the well-organized closet, I have, I too have that space. But if you if you crack the Russian dolls that are the the suitcases in the middle, there's this ready to go, ready to travel bag, and that's not packed right now. It's it still has my cables, like a few little things, my my portable yoga mat, my my travel yoga mat, but it's not packed and ready to go because I don't know when we're going back to work, Chris. I'm we're in the same boat. We're in the same boat, brother. I. Uh... I don't even have room in my bathroom for the stuff that I travel with because I've got my travel bag and I've got my home stuff and I, I never, the two have mixed. And right well, now I, take care of that. I finally lost my, uh, I had a good shaving kit. It had a good run, maybe three years. It was a PRG Nocturne kit that I was given maybe 10 years ago. And I pulled it out of the, you know, the, the back of the bathroom cabinet. Oh, look at this thing. And I finally, I, I had just accumulated, I talked about roadie rituals, I had just accumulated the right, uh, the, you know, Altoid tins of uh, alcohol wipes and different sized bandages and, and Q-tips and two pairs of nail clippers and all the things, an extra iPhone cable, an extra other cable, a little screwdriver, like everything. And I left it in the hotel room. Finally, it's like, you just, you can't let something like that get perfect because then it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, a rig. You always have to have one broken thing. Otherwise, once it's perfect, it's gonna it's gonna break catastrophically. 
So uh, oh, speak I, for yourself on that one. I, I, I go for absolute perfection. <laughs> well, that's why you keep, maybe that's why you keep having problems. <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay. What problems? Yeah. Lighting. So being a roadie is fun, uh, especially when everyone's in the stable and I'm hoping to be, uh, one of my two clients, I hope will be leading the charge that will be the end the entertainment industry getting back on its feet. Cause we can't keep all these places closed and not gather again. It's it's, you can't do that in one day, you know? No, no, we can't. This is our, this is the global reset button that we're going to see how long it takes for us to reset. Yeah. Uh, and, what, uh, uh, what venue did you just get sent home from? Uh, it was the Palladium in London. We played there. We were doing um, a set of EU underplays uh, with One Republic. So we play, you know, smaller clubs that, that, than what they think you should be playing kind of thing and sort of seed the market. And it, it generates really tightly packed and sold out crowds. Um, we played, we played, uh, let me just, I'll just wax on about this one a bit because we played Cologne, the Palladium, also called the Palladium in, in Cologne. Now that's a venue, I don't know if you've been there, it's uh, like an old submarine factory. And you can get most of an arena rig into the, it's a pretty small stage, but it's it's a really, it's a nice big club. Um, and I did gigs there with Manson 20 years ago when it was just becoming a venue. And so the, the dressing rooms hadn't been built out yet or anything. And uh, it's also like over the years, I, I had, it's in Cologne, right? In Cologne. We've yep. been, it's, um, it's uh, it's like you know the train track goes right into the into the entrance. It's it's kind of creepy and kind of cool all at the same time. Uh, and that's the first place I did a One Republic gig in 2014. I flew out to join the tour already in progress. Um, and uh, I uh, I it was at this this venue. It was just awesome to be back there um, six years later, having all this history with the band now. Um, you know, going from uh, hired gun LD to designer of the of the the whole enchilada now, and um, it's uh, it was it was emotional. It was it was a really cool thing um, to go to that venue. We also played the Olympia in Paris. Uh, again, I'll just tangent. This is what this podcast is about, right? Talking about shit uh, yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, the uh, the Olympia in Paris, I remember, was the first gig I ever did in Paris with Yes back in 2000. And uh, that was when there was different money in every country you went to. That was fun. There was actual actual border crossing. Sometimes you just breeze through. Other times there'd be a token, you know, turnstile, not turnstile, you know, like one of those little things you go through and the arm goes up and they look at your passports. Um, and uh, Paris, the Olympia. You know, I walked outside it and I stood back and I was like, no, this is exactly I, uh, Paris is one of those cities. It looks the same no matter where you are. It's Absolutely. very beautiful. But you know what I mean? It, so you don't really know where you are. But when, when I stepped out and I saw the marquee and then I remembered the way that I tried to speak French on the loading dock when I was, a, you know, the, the fourth guy on the crew back then. Um and uh, I had all these uh, flashbacks. It's a great house. It's uh, all uh, fly pipes. We hung the. We basically got the the the, the corporate rig, the One Republic uh, sort of you know universal get me out of a jam rig. Um, and uh, to that we added uh, um, a floor row and uh, a, a velour drape just to make it interesting and a bunch of lamps. This was the bass player Brent at the last second said, let's put a bunch of lamps out. So we Amazoned up a bunch of floor lamps and a couple of desk lamps, put them on the Fender Road stage piano that comes out for the acoustic moment. And this was all happening at the, uh, the Olympia. So we put on this little show for these European underplays and we played Utrecht as well. And uh, we were supposed to play Milan. How many shows and ended up canceling on you? How many more shows did you have on the books? We were, we didn't cancel anything. We were slated to go home. We started off by going to the Dubai Jazz Festival. So we, we flew over to Dubai first, then we came back uh, to Paris. Uh, and before we, I think before we even got to Dubai, um, it was kind of like, well, it's not official, but we're probably not going to Italy, right? And Italy was just starting, you know, they were, Milan had just been locked down or, you know, there was varying reports 
but this was the thing. We were supposed to play Milan, and it was like, okay, maybe a different city in Italy, and then, okay, we're not going to Italy. Um, but we skipped around, uh, so we went to Amsterdam instead. I mean, tough break there. <laughs> you got an extra two days in Amsterdam. Um, and this was, a pl- I just uh, really spent a lot of my time. I was uh, working on uh, some, like I was discussing, having discussions with Brent about this uh, this design that's coming up this summer and trying to do some work on that, as well as advancing some Josh shows that uh, were being covered by my friend Steve Baird uh, down in Florida. Um, and uh, yeah, there was just a bunch of things. It seemed like I didn't have time to be in Europe and go out and do stuff. I got I walked around Paris a little bit and then I spent the rest of my time kind of holed up in hotel rooms, just going to the gym and designing just you know really woodshedding a bunch of projects um and that's what i've been trying to do now since i got home so we came home from the palladium like we were supposed to and um i was going to see my children and it was like okay should they come into the city they live outside of toronto on the other side of uh, lake ontario um in fenwick um and uh you know, the plan was for them to just come in as normal. Wait, no one is, was talking much about quarantining except for if you were sick. And then I got a call from the tour manager that evening saying somebody at the venue, these are his words, at the at the venue, one of the stagehands has tested positive. So that just, you know, we were like, okay, well, we are all we were all there. We were washing our hands all day, but we were still there in a room, you know. We all had to self-quarantine. So um, we canceled an appearance on Ellen. I had already, I knew I wasn't going to travel because I had to choose for the first time between family and whatnot. I wasn't going to leave my kids right when everybody's freaking out over COVID-19. Uh, so <laughs> I was, uh, I covered myself. I called a guy in LA, Bobby Gray was going to cover me for the Ellen appearance, uh, that they were going to do. And, um, you know, just to sort of take what I was going to do and be the guy on site. And then, uh, I, was tapping uh, another guy, Matthew Piercy, in um, in New York City. He covered a Josh show for me once uh, through UVLD. That's Greg, uh, Greg Cohen's um, um, design company. They're based yep. out of New York. So I was kind of like, you know, calling in the team of acquaintances and people I'd worked with to try to uh, make sure that my artist was covered and then everything. Pull the plug. East up. <laughs> Big red button. Somebody hit it hard. They hit that e-stop on all of us. Yeah, when so, the NBA went down, I was like, well, obviously, they're not going to let you know people gather for rock shows. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've immediately channeled my energy, like I said, into hoping that we're going to be part of the big turnaround. And to that end, I have been spending time, you know, um, assuming that this there's going to be a show uh, in July which is when the tour was supposed to start with one Republic. And um, so I'm just, you know, spending my days designing. I got nowhere else to be now. (laughs) I can't visit with my children other than on a video chat. Wow. um, Yeah. Which is tough. Which is tough. Nice nice new electronic drum kit. uh, The other, you know, just before I left on tour, finally treated myself to the, to the good one, the TD 30, you know, the, the, I uh, just found a good deal on uh, Kijiji. I'm sure you're f- familiar with Kijiji now that you're all Canadian and stuff. Yep. Half half Canadian, yep. Yeah. Kijiji the, is uh, the Canadian Craigslist for anybody listening. Yeah, a little less creepy than Craigslist. Uh, a little more classified ads, local kind of thing. And uh, so I've been playing the heck out of these drums, you know. When they when you have the, the, uh, the super awesome brain, it just makes you want to play them even more. Um, Maybe that I'm going stir crazy too. I haven't really left the left the condo because I'm technically not supposed to. I managed to, you know, stock up groceries. I'm fine for a few weeks. Wow, uh, sounds like uh, you're going to be a rock star drummer by uh, in two weeks' time. Well, here's the other thing. For the first time, now anybody listening, I don't know who you're, who the audience really is here. So I'm just going to put this out on the airways. But for the first time in my entire career. The band has seriously approached me to come and play drums during the show. And if you Google up or YouTube up uh, any of the performances we, we just did in London Palladium or Paris Olympia or Utrecht or um, 
uh, in Köln, uh, I went up and played uh, some brushes on a snare drum for Wonderwall during the crew jam. And this is, to me, it was a, a double honor for the band to say, hey, you're cool enough that, you know, you can come up on, and play on the crew jam. And for the crew to accept me into that fold, these back, the backline guys that, you know, spend their time, uh, you know, making sure every instrument, every freaking wire, every MIDI path on stage is always working perfectly for the guys. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, here's Mr. Lighting guy <laughs> coming in on stage and playing. But, you know, it's just a gas to be making eye contact with the crew and the band and we're on stage and, uh yeah so that happens i i i just wanted to you know it's it maybe a little digby moment obviously it's it's a kind of thing that i'm not going to try to hide that i did but it's kind of a it's a it's a humbling thing and uh you know i'm just hitting some it's, it, I, the drum tech is playing glockenspiel and a shaker and uh we got the playback guy playing um uh 12 string and andy fig our uh our uh stage manager is playing guitar and he's plays left-handed. So he has a guitar ready to go strong the other way. You know, Josie, our, our stage left backline guy uh, is playing uh, a guitar. He opens with Zach, the guy that he works for. So it's, it's just, it's really cool, man. Like we're doing this song, we're doing Wonderwall. I have to leave during the last chorus and try to run back to front of house, which was fun, especially in Paris. There was an elevator involved, you know, if you could just, <laughs> You you know you're I'm I'm running carefully carefully running you know when you're moving quickly but you're like the last thing I want to do is come around a corner and smack into somebody and have that moment right now right so you're you're zipping through the back hallways and then you get in the elevator and there's this moment where you just you know it's all quiet and you just, you can hear the elevator music in the back of your head it's you couldn't write the scene any better and then the doors open and you zip out the front of house um, yeah it's it was a, a heck of a lot of fun. I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but uh, it was it was uh, interesting that it happened at this moment, and then all of a sudden um, we find ourselves not doing anything. So you know, if I was going to do that in the future, but that future might not have come. In my entire career, I've seen one time where an artist got sick in the middle of the band, in the middle of the show, and the drum tech had to step in and finish a show. And I would imagine that during the, the crew jam, that's kind of what everybody's just kind of got in the back of their mind. They're like, well, that could happen and I, and I should be ready. I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've, I've been a roadie for a long time and maybe it's just because I'm mature and I'm a better, I'm a more mature, better person these days. Uh, but I seem to have landed myself in uh, just this awesome, awesome crew with One Republic. Um, and so that feeling, like I said, you know, it's an honor for the band to say, hey, come up and, you know, be silly on stage with us for a song and at the same time the crew saying yeah man like you're part of this not like oh rolling their <laughs> eyes you know which is the the sort of you know the sort of old school rodeo in my just thinks oh what what what's going on here but um no it's uh it's a it's a really good uh it's a good vibe and the, the band has been the same guys that i met six years ago you know like they're they they spend time with the crew, they go out of their way to um, have uh, nice events for us. They took us uh, to the Thai kickboxing when we were in, in uh, Bangkok. And uh, there's, you know, been several really elegant and lovely crew dinners. Um, and they, you know, you really feel like they, they come to them, they hang out with us, they, they mingle among and, and they, it's a, it's a really good, good vibe. And the guys, the, the roadies that I'm with, they're guys that I miss when I'm gone. Like my my, I'm talking to my mom couple, every other day, and I'm uh, on a WhatsApp group with the guys that I was just on tour with. You know, <laughs> nice. That sounds like the way touring is supposed to be. It actually sounds like family oriented and 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 motivated. Well, and it's I'm doubly lucky because I can say the same thing about the Josh crew. I spent a lot of time on the road with them last year and uh, some this year as well already. And uh, yeah, when you, you know, I guess it's uh, you gravitate towards what I consider is part of the compensation package. You know, there's the amount of money that they're going to pay you to, to be on the road and to do prep work and whatever that is. But there's also the environment they're in and anybody who's got a job has to consider that their working environment is, uh, is part of the compensation package. Right. So, um, it's, it's really good when you're not 
against that. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> old roadies like us, Chris. Uh, you've, you've, <laughs> I don't you've know when I became tour. an old roadie, but it, 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 I am an old roadie now. Yeah, and you, you've been on that tour. You've been on that bus where a few people just aren't getting along. And, you know, you can have if, – if someone's complaining about – uh, their accommodations because maybe they they just have they you know they they weren't sure what they were signed up for let's just say you know a tour can survive one person like that but when they have company that's when it starts to go off the rails you know and uh, and it's just uh, it's great to be in in a couple of situations now where it's just positive all the time a lot of the bands have realized that their their attitude sets the atmosphere for the whole tour Basically, if there's a, if the band is in good, is in good, uh, good jams, then the whole, the whole tour is in a good, good state of mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like it, it, I feel like a majority of that is top down, but a, a fair amount of it comes bottom up. If the, if the crew's not happy, the, the band will eventually hear about it and they'll, they'll also not be you happy. Know, an army marches on its stomach. It's if if a production manager starts with catering, they usually do very well with the crew. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If uh, if the because uh, it doesn't take that much for somebody to uh, do a little homework and still get a good deal and have nicer things. You know, um, if you're with a, a the kind of artist that's going to say, okay, it, it costs us just you know a a, a percentage point more but everybody's going to be happy, then go for it. Um, you know, we don't want to spend the band's money willy nilly. Uh, so, you know, I find that uh, really smart production managers find where they can get the best thing locally, you know, and uh, uh, booking hotels, you know, just having a good relationship with a, uh, with a uh, travel agent will, uh, will get you good hotels across the board, you know? Um, and that's, uh, that's all part of the, of what we should be uh, aspiring to, I think, having having a good place to work. I've been a part of tours where we were taken care of so well that the the crew would often complain that we were in too nice a hotels because yeah, they go down feel- to the lobby and a, a hamburger's fifteen bucks, and you're like, hey, come on, you yeah. guys, we we really need to. Keep in mind uh, those, those same tours have, have a lot of days off, yeah, and we call them per diem burners because you're just like you spend too much time not working. <laughs> At least a gig fills up a whole day, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the last time we got to really hang out and spend some time together, we were working on an article about symmetry and asymmetry, and you and I go back and forth on that one because I am a huge fan of symmetrical looks. Uh-huh. You're a much bigger fan of asymmetrical looks. Well, I find that, you know, we end up opting for a certain amount of symmetry anyway. You know, bands tend to like symmetry. You know, um, I've thrown a couple of asymmetrical looks at uh, some artists and sometimes they're like, yeah, that's interesting. But, you know, it kind of you, you end up back in the symmetry. So I'm not anti-symmetry. I just like to find some asymmetry within that. I like to make sure that you know, uh, you can have the ability to light a face from just one side um, and having, uh, you know, I have, I have groups of lights in my stuff that's, it, that's designed to have a nice symmetrical focus, but certain, certain other ones are designed to look a little bit off. You know, I don't even do an asymmetric in my general focuses. I don't even have one that's an asymmetrical focus. So maybe you, you won after all subliminal, you planted, you planted a seed. Um, well, see, I, uh, what I took away from it was that there's only 10% of the audience that gets to enjoy the symmetrical looks that you've made. Whereas the other 80% of the audiences, they don't, they're not seeing it. They're not seeing the same symmetry that we are. That's the thing. But also if you walk by a per- perfectly symmetrical building, you will, you will see it. You'll, you'll get beautiful angles from, from all, from, you know, it's, <laughs> It's uh, the, the wonderful thing about our job is that you can just look at it and say, well, I meant to do that, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Symmetry makes a lot of things more easy. And when you have an even number of people in the band, um, when you have, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you're, you're right though. I'm, I'm looking at amphitheaters now. And so I've got my amphitheater uh, model and I put my virtual 
peepers, you know, into different parts up on the lawn, um, down in the pit in front of house, just to get different perspectives. And, you know, you're really, it's a, it's a wonderful event, but it's confining in a lot of ways, you know, the amphitheater thing, whereas the arena, you have a nice open, open lines, especially if you're selling past 180. Um, so, you know, the, the amphitheater vibe, I got to remember, um, what that experience is, I think people, you know, uh, the being outside and, and, uh, this summer, hopefully this will be the highlight of people's summer. You know, I found that, uh, part of the amphitheater experience, I would get on my bicycle and ride out in the afternoon before doors when people were tailgating and just like try to eavesdrop on some conversations and stop and even go so far as to say, Hey, I'm one of the roadies and I'm glad you guys are here. Like there's a, there's a, a percentage of a penny uh, of your ticket price. that's going into my pocket. You can measure it somewhere, you know, like this it's without, without these people uh, coming to the shows, we're nothing. And for some there, that's their thing. They'll be there every weekend and no matter what the show is uh, some, you know, they want to see every concert there is and other people, you know, they've been waiting for this one artist to come back. I haven't seen him for years or whatever the heck it is. Uh, but they, um, you know, it's, it's quite magical when you, the, the live element, the thing that we're lamenting the most, the thing that we're all the TV lighting guys are like, Hey, you know, I got, I got no problems. They're probably barricading the studios. No, no roadies allowed. Um, <laughs> yeah, if the audience was waiting in January, they're definitely going to be waiting quite a while now. We got a few more. According to the CDC, we've got another eight weeks of this. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, it's always important, though. I think you know to put yourself in that uh, in that space. Um, the uh, you know, each each venue we work doing the underplays with a band like One Republic is is great because is, you're the doing when you're playing to two thousand or less people, it can get really quiet in between bits. There's people aren't milling around as much. They they've done their milling. You know, not everybody's out getting a t-shirt and not paying attention. So uh, especially in Europe, you know, German crowds they're like the nice loud cheer and then they just quiet. Same mm -hmm. same in Japan. You know, they're just like silence in between and uh you don't have that when you're in a 15,000 seat amphitheater there's always some kind of uh you know noise going on except in the really really quiet parts um so yeah it's uh it's uh fun to see your artist in all these different places and get to you know perform a part of the show this is where the though my whole kernel idea that i that i'm trying to get out there this idea that there's a kernel of your show it's like what that show can look like no matter what equipment you have to do it on you know you have the uh, basic elements of the show covered uh you know that their light their faces will light up when you want them to you know that they'll be the band members will be lit uh in a certain way at certain times because you've thought of these these uh, these tasks and you can scale that up and you can scale it down. You know, in Dubai, the rig was eight times the size of my, uh, the, uh, the corporate one-off rig that we use, you know, the console makes it easy just to clone to all those things. And, uh, and if your kernel is, is well thought out, you, you know, it looks like you meant to do that. Yeah. I guess as long as you hit those key features, then everything else is just eye candy. As long as, you're making your band feel comfortable and they know that the key elements are going to be there. You can do, you can amplify everything else that you're doing as much as you need to. I encourage, and I, you know, let's be honest, a lot of us are looking at MAs. So uh, I'm sure every console has a way to do this, but it, I, it starts for me in the MA fixture schedule with the layers. A lot of people make layers of um, the type of light, like spiders and Sharpies and, axiom and this and that whereas I, I encourage people to think in terms more of the tasks you know one layer is key light well that could be a leco or that could be a wash light um you know like uh backlight well it's nice to have a nice hard edge backlight maybe put a gobo in it or something but if you could that that light could be a, a, a wash fixture um it could be if you don't rely on it having to move all the time it could clone over to a led par if that's all you were given you know this it's like what 
then you know that every time you ring up that light, it's going to be pointing at the place where the guy is, that, that person's station. Then, you know, you move on to these different layers um, with more general names. Um, I mentioned in that article, uh, uh, the Red Rocks article in, in uh, Prolates and Sound News, uh, the, the general wash and the general, the auxiliary profile. Auxiliary profile, those are the guys that are going to do nice twinkly stuff in the audience and maybe sweep in and do the crazy moving light gags that we all love to see, yeah? Um, but they don't ever have to be focused on any one particular thing. So they should always just have a nice coverage if they're supposed to be crossing beams or if they're supposed to be a nice straight down or in the audience, they, they, they don't have to single anything out. And that way, you know, I, I found that when I, when I didn't separate things out like that and I used some of my backlights for my profiles, then I might have a look where uh, I've cloned to a bunch of extra fixtures at, at a festival uh, that are just spanning out on the wings and stuff. And I've cloned uh, the, my, my backlights. And now when it comes to the piano moment where there's one light supposed to be on one guy, every 10th light is just kind of pointing off into nowhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so you, if you have the, uh, if you have the general wash and the auxiliary profiles and you think of them that way and keep those ones as separate fixtures, then you know that your front lights and your back lights on your guys, they can be exactly just that. They don't have to move. And uh, your audience lights, you know, I like to use automated lights because I like to surgically light the audience. Um, moles are fun. Uh, I, there's a lot of nice LED moles now and they're coming out with different things, but I, I much prefer to have like a K20 or a, um, the, a quantum lighting up the audience. You have a whole row of them that are, that are just that, you know, that if you, if you try to, um, accomplish too many tasks with one group of lights, then you might find yourself wanting in certain looks later. Um, always knowing that, you know, and I'm, now that I have a, this kernel of uh, two shows basically going now, um, when I do, uh, we, when we move to the, a, a new design where video is going to take a, a much larger role in the presentation um, and we're going to have our own stuff, you know, where I'm not having to fit in on someone else's stage. This is going to be our tour. Um, I'm looking at ways to keep my programming without having to, come up with a separate show file, but maybe mute certain groups of lights because I have this other gag that's going to light up this one song in this show and then have a variable where the, each time you change pages, they can ask the, the console will ask the question, what kind of show is this? Do I have these elements? You know, do I mute this one element because there's a different thing because this is the arena show and I have a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, Septron fixtures that are going to light up in a certain way. Um, I, I hope this is making sense. I'm sort of talking these these concepts through with uh, Jeff Farrow, my colleague that I've been coordinating with a bunch lately. Um, and uh, just the idea that you can have built into your show file more than just a specific type. You know, you have all the tools to take care of your artists no matter where they're appearing. Um, yeah. It sounds Other like we're supposed to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> no, that that's great. Uh, I see this happening all too often, where it goes the other way around, where somebody has thought about all the eye candy, and then at the last second they try and get to the key lights and the and the. And the and well, this is the, the thing, money. you know, when we when I when we go do a corporate and we do this one particular song, and I don't have all my other elements because you know that they weren't going to bring it in for that one show, then I can unmute the groups that I originally programmed on. And then I'm going to see that show that we've seen before. Yeah. But then when I get back to having, Oh, we're going to have this element. Isn't it, you know, it's the idea that you can just turn off a bunch of lights to let some other gag uh, play through because it's a certain kind of show. And these are concepts. I I'm, I'm still coming up with the workflow on this, but so far um, the, a, a big breakthrough. And again, I'll talk, it'll, I'll talk a bit nerdy about, about how this works uh, on the MA, but um, I've come up with the concept of having the today world and the original world. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
MA is great for having these worlds. You can have someone that's just dealing with audience lights on a TV show and they have just those fixtures available to them so they don't accidentally screw up cues. You can be looking at the same show file. I'd be with, um, people, uh, some people have, are, have been using the MA2 for years and don't even know what a world is, uh, but it is this great way of just looking at a certain part of the rig. Well, um, there are the fixtures that I program from. Those are the ones that appear on the plot. When someone says, oh, could you send us your generic plot from One Republic? Well, there you go. It's a bunch of profiles and a bunch of washes, and they happen to be quantums. Uh, they could be different, substituted for different things. You know, it's easy to clone over. Now, I go into a new situation. Sometimes they give us that exact rig. Sometimes every fixture is substituted, but I have its fixture per, per fixture. Okay. So in that case, some people might uh, choose to um, just do a fixture substitution, just change the fixture in the, in the fixture schedule, and then there you go, and now you can do the show, you're, you're ready to go. Well, I'd prefer to, bring, to add new fixtures. If, if, if the, the supplier hasn't done a show patch already, I'll um, just copy my fixtures and then do the fixture replacement and then do a clone to these new fixtures. This allows me to, to be in today's world, but still pre preserve the original programming. And if I enter the full world where all those fixtures are available to me, I can make a programming change, for instance, like all backlights at zero in this one queue. If I'm in the full world, it's going to take care of the fixtures I'm seeing in that location that I'm doing the show at and my original ones from which I cloned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This way I can, I, um, I don't have to sort of come up with a cutoff time when, you know, I used to, you know, in the afternoon at some point, okay, well, at this point, if I have to program anything new, like they throw a new song or I have to make some changes, I'm going to have to go back and put those into the original show file, you know, manually, just yep. recreate them or decide whether they were important or not. Um, the way I'm doing it now with this other world, I bring in like sometimes, you know, you go to festivals and so I'm trying to find my rig within someone else's rig, but they've done all these layouts and stuff and they have their MA 3d already done. Well, thank you very much. You know, I can partial show read that in. Um, the trick there is a lovely trick. Uh, I'll give Bobby great credit for this one too. Um, you make all of your stuff channels and everything else fixtures. Everything that's a today thing is a fixture. And yep. then you can make these worlds really easily. I lock those worlds so I don't accidentally mess them up, but I have a macro that creates the world from a group that you call create world. Okay. Um, now, if, if all of my today fixtures have fixture numbers and all of my originals have channel numbers, then I can select fixture one through enter and that create, that is my group that would become that today world. And it's really neat that I have a macro that toggles between them so you can see, uh, like when you clone over and clone to your layouts, then all of these new fixtures will create little copies of themselves on your original layout. So when you uh, toggle back and forth between the, the worlds, you see everything, you see original, and you see what you have uh, in the today world. I hope I'm making myself, without uh, visual aids, it's, it's hard to explain, but I am thinking of doing an article or maybe something like that. Uh, I was going to do, an, uh, I was talking about doing an LDI thing, but we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do something very similar. We'll all have everything that I have programmed from and to and if they add a song, I'll go back into the original world and then build it and then reclone that song. There you then, go. But if they, uh, where I find it to become most useful is when is beam palettes and stuff. Like it was sometimes I'll have to update a random strobe, but I only want it to update in this show, but I don't want to update it in the old show, or I do want it to update it in the old show. And I, uh, or if I have to add uh, frost into something and I want to add that universally. Yeah, what yeah. you're talking about is, is a great technique. I'm still baffled that we have to keep thinking about these DMX values and channels and stuff like that. Like why they haven't just come up with the mass translation. I, I, have, I have high hopes for the GDTF idea, but you still have to be kind of a real nerd to get with these things. And, and I don't understand why you can't just figure out these lights, you know, they're going to do the same kinds of things. They strobe at this rate. We'll set the channel to that and have that be the universal thing, you know? Yeah. We're still working uh, on that. We still all think that we're going to be new and individual and different and better. And 
We well, yeah, just... you see some, some fixtures will add a bunch of new color attributes that have nothing to do, instead of making a multi-instance fixture, you know? So you have all these new attributes that you have no uh, nothing to clone into, and it's it's nerdy. Like, why can't we just say, well, here, this is this is a thing, you know? This is um, the light come turns on, and it's got these functions, and and this is how you make them, you know? Well, at Ayrton, we're kind of leading the way and trying to pack as many DMX channels into each fixture as we can because we want. Eventually, somebody's going to ask, "Well, can I control that?" Well, yes, you 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 can control that individually too. So it, you know, people are asking for it. We got to get to them. There's so many modes. I've got to figure out how many different modes. Yeah, somebody. I love how some some manufacturers are still putting eight bit pan and tilt into a mode. It's like, what the heck is that going to be useful for? In in what what dingy little club do you not have enough DMX channels just to at least make the pan work? If you're getting Ayrton fixtures and you still need that eight, eight bit mode, you're you're in a unique situation. That's for sure. I did that once. I, I accidentally asked for a mode. I didn't. I looked at the thing and I I just it, I only made this mistake once ever. But uh, I had eight bit pan and tilt, and you literally there was some positions I just couldn't hit because <laughs> you know 360 degrees divided by 255 is <laughs> that's not math, enough. Math don't work not enough <laughs> well gee we've been at this for about 42 minutes i hope that some of the stories i've told are, are at least interesting to the audience in some way no uh absolutely uh one of the reasons i really wanted to reach out to you was to hear about your red rocks uh, i know it was in print but i wanted to hear more about how that was for you i know you've done red it rocks was- before it was emotional, man. I have done so many different shows with different artists over the years. Uh, I did shows at Red Rocks before they built the staging loading docks. So you would actually, the flatbed trucks, I, again, I know you've done it. Um, with brief description, there is a large hill between where you can unload a trailer and where you can put stuff on the stage. And that hill is, is uh, traversed by these flatbed trucks that uh, you have to load your stuff onto. And it used to, you used to have to directly load from the trailer into the flatbed truck. And it would be, you know, just a, a shit show at, if, if you didn't ha- send the stuff out correctly. They've, they built a loading dock sometime in the past 20 years. I mean, I've been going there since ni- the mid nineties. Uh, so they, they put a loading dock partway up so you can stage some stuff there. Um, and anyone I, I mentioned in the article, anyone who is, who's been there, it's like, Oh, it's breathtaking. It's beautiful. It's red rocks. It's incredible. Anyone who's done the show there is like, yeah, it's a real pain in the butt, you know, <laughs> to do this place, but it's worth it. You know, you're up, you feel the air is thinner a mile high. You see during the day, it's a, it's a national park. So, uh, if, I almost forget this every time that it's open to the public um for most of the day and in the afternoon they close it to the public but they have people walking up and down the steps you have uh sometimes SWAT teams training there anyway this place is very special to me it's a very unique place it's the only i mentioned this uh it's the only place very few uh, stages are at ground level with with the the first row is level with the stage and it only goes up from there so the artists look up and they have all of the crowd in front of them in a way that it doesn't exist anywhere else, you know? It's one of the um, few places where the artists are looking up at the audience. Always. And, I, and it really, uh, you know, you can get that sense from, uh, from Josh. He just was just projecting, you know, he's, he's got this operatic voice and he's been on Broadway and uh, I know he uses a microphone and everything, but he's got a powerful voice and you could just feel him you know, singing right to the top because you just, you, you, you're getting everybody. If you're looking towards the top, you're not looking over people's heads. You're looking at everybody somehow at the same time. Um, and the rocks, you know, they they have these 
uh, luster fixtures that do a great job lighting up the rocks. And we added a bunch more uh, just to beef it up some more. Uh, I've mentioned that, uh, you know, not everybody likes the buildings and the buildings themselves are very interesting and they're part of the architecture. So I added some fixtures just to make them pop. And so, you know, you, you, you're surrounded by these, the, the color, um, the, uh, you can't you can't fight it if you have uh, a cer certain production elements that aren't going to blow around too much you know you can bring all sorts of stuff into uh, red rocks but every, every beautiful picture from red rocks allows the rock to tell part of the story you know what i mean it's like you just you, you don't want to cover that up you don't want it to be something different you want it to be your artist at red rocks you know, we, we all um, used to have to bring in a lot of gear to light up the rocks. And as far as I know, there's a, a semi-permanent rig there now that just lights up the rocks. Yeah, it's, it, stage rock isn't lit up, but the other two are, and with these lusters. So I added about 60 fixtures to the stage rock and the uh, buildings, and then another dozen or so to the uh, to the rocks. But like I said, they were handled by the house rig. And, you know, it's like it's so good when they put in and give you access, you know, to that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, there's always a layer. We're talking about the kernel of the show. There's always a layer in my shows of architectural lights that are just there to, you know, so that if someone says, Oh, you got, you know, every one of these trees lights up, <laughs> what do you want to do with it? It's like, well, check it out. They're going to, they're going to make a nice strobe on this drum fill here and everything. Cause it's all programmed in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then working with the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, you know, I just I still marvel at the odds that I had three shows in a row, two shows with One Republic, and another show right after with Josh, where both artists decided to use the entire CSO. Um, you know, they arrived at that decision separately. Who knows how this got booked, but uh, it happened. And um, the um, you know the I had some ideas about putting them on different types of risers that were a little bit more interesting than what we ended up with. Um, and you can, you can move around a few hired guns. I like on, on, um, on the Josh tour, we have 15 players. You can move them around as long as the guitar player can see the first violin. They're, they're not too fussy. You know, if it's better to put some a horn over here because of the way the microphone is going to pick up the bell of the horn, you can do that. Whereas in the, Full symphony orchestra, they kind of like to be where they like to be. They like the first violins over here and the second violins here and percussion and horns sometimes get a little riser, not too much of a riser, and they're in the back. And so I I um, abandoned the plans to have an avant-garde orchestra set up and just went with uh, a tiered level, which was a little more riser than they're used to, but I kept them in their relative locations. So it allowed us to, to uh, I, I think the, the photos that made publication there taken by uh, another AJ uh, for Josh and uh, my good friend Brody Harper um, uh, from One Republic. Uh, those photos, I think that the the the, art, the orchestra is nicely laid out. Everyone had a good sight line to see this unique performance that was going to be the same to both shows, you know. And then, well, okay, we got different music. I made it look a little bit different, but I took a similar approach to both uh, both shows, you know. That that this orchestra is this living, breathing part that needs to have a be lit separate and have its own its own stuff without you know without getting too kung fu lighting with it <laughs> you know what i mean yeah a lot of people don't even realize how difficult it is to get the console into the red rocks i mean that alone is a oh yeah the motor and it drags it up the thing on a on a skid with teflon runners like how it's and the the, the SWAT, I love it when the SWAT guys are there. Like they they literally like cop departments. They have their SWAT teams go up and and run up and down carrying weights and stuff. And uh, you're like, wow, what an interesting place that all this happens here. And the the tunnel out to front of house is the full of yeah. graffiti and a little bit of piece of history from everybody who's come through there. I can't remember where I can't find where I wrote my name. And then I wrote it again uh, a few years ago. I said, I'll remember where this is. I can't find it again. And I just stopped writing. <laughs> I see all my friends' names. I saw Brian Maddox here. I think I saw yours. 
Uh, didn't you sign it for uh, the, the those, that famous band you worked for? I came through with Steve the Deftones uh, there, but I, I never got to bring Stevie or the Fleetwood through there. We were, they were on their, uh, they refused to play outdoors at that time. Huh. Yeah, they wouldn't do it. They were, they were in their 70s at the time, so they uh, they weren't doing outdoor stuff then. Yeah, we're going to start losing a lot of rock stars soon. It's sad to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is a, I don't know if it's quite as bad as the, what was it, 20, 2017? Was that the year that we just lost? 2016 when Bowie died. And, 2016 and was Prince and David Bowie and Lemmy and uh, Glenn. And, Thank God yeah, we still have two Beatles. And we still have two Beatles. And still doing shows. Like, God, you know, that's what makes me think. I don't see a retirement vector here, you know, <laughs> doing something in this entertainment industry. I don't, I, I, I don't see a day when I'm not going to love this stuff. Um, yeah. Even when we're sitting at home, we still love doing this. We have to go to the podcast and everything, but we're still in this together. That's for sure. Well, you know, it's a craft and it's, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's being an artist that you don't have to take yourself so seriously as an artist, because at the end of the day, you're just, you know, you're, you're just entertaining people, like giving them something that's a little bit more than what they might have expected. You know, uh, my new quip is, uh, I like to say, I can only make it worse, really. You know, <laughs> you, can, you can make it worse with strobe lights in people's eyes and a lot of things that sometimes are in vogue that I don't like shooting beams through audience for no reason and things like that. Um, you know, you can make it really tasteful too, and you can, um, you can, you can only make it worse though. And so it's, it, you know, you get to do a thing where you look and say, that's cool. If I was coming to see this band and I saw that, I'd be like, wow, that made it better, you know? Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, that's what I said when I saw Peter Gabriel in 86, like, holy cow, the lights are really cool. And we're still, I'm pushing 50 here and, and. I feel like that 15 year old kid that just came back from Maple Leaf Gardens and said, Oh my God, they had these things. They, they zipped around and the beams and the audience. And how do I do that? <laughs> There's something about us. We just, it's in our DNA that we love to be able to push buttons and make things happen far away. And if that button push happens to correspond with a drum hit or a big oh, sweep, it's, it's, it's all the Lego, better for us. It's playing in a band, it's playing a video game, and you don't have to be that good at any of them. But if you can do <laughs> all of them a little bit, you know, it adds up to one rock LD. Right, That's that a great way to end this podcast. Those are some wise words. Uh, you can only make it worse. So you can so only make it, it worse, Chris. Don't Thanks very much for having me on your podcast. And Absolutely, uh, yeah. AJ. This has been a pleasure. I always love catching up with you. Uh, All right, man. Fortunately, we won't be able to catch up in person, and uh, little virtual handshakes are better than actual handshakes these days. Well, do enjoy. continue to enjoy your time up here in Canada, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you found a good gig there with Ayrton. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, man. I'm out. Peace.